Before I get started, I would like to issue this disclaimer. I am not a mental health professional. I am an individual who is passionate about mental health and topics related to mental health. Research has been done on these topics and I am sharing my own personal experience. All conversation and information exchange are intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any information shared should not be used as medical advice or to self-diagnose. If you believe you are experiencing an emergency, please talk to your primary physician or call 911. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Mind If We Chat. I'm your host, Sarah. If you're a new listener, thank you for tuning in and joining in on the fun. If you're a returning listener, thank you for your continued support in this little podcast. (laughs) So I wanted to do another Ask the Therapist episode because it's been a while. You know, holidays are coming up, and um, I always think it's kind of a good time to ask. And, you know, so we had to bring our uh, favorite self-care queen to do it. I mean, there was only one person I can think of to do this with me. Uh, So returning for a third time, we have Erin. Hello, Erin. Listen, guys, I'm so happy to be back. I love this podcast, Sarah. You know, I champion you and everything you do and fully support you. I love it. And I'm just so happy that you guys asked me back. And I'm so excited to get to these questions. Man, some really thoughtful, vulnerable amazing questions that came through. There is no stupid question. And I just, I think it's going to be a really great talk today. And hopefully I can give some advice and help some people and guide some people. Um, And I do want to say that, yes, this is my advice, right? So take what feels good, take what resonates and throw away what doesn't. I'm an expert. I'm a licensed therapist. I private practice. I do individuals and couples counseling. I specify in anxiety, depression, eating disorders, all adjustment disorders. I do career. So I'm kind of all over the place with what I work with. And I think that it's just really important for people to remember that just because I have letters behind my name does not mean that I am right all the time. And this goes for a lot of therapists in the world should be really saying this. Okay. Like we're human, we're doing the best we can. And, uh, there just because there's letters doesn't mean someone's uh, on the up and up. So we should always be doing our research when we're looking for therapists. Um, but I think that it's important to remind the listeners that just take what, what makes sense and, and throw away the rest, you know, and, and that's okay. Don't take everything I say, you know, heavy grain of salt, things are changing, days are different, life is evolving. And so what I say today might make sense. And then in two weeks, it doesn't work anymore. So, and that's kind of how it goes. Right, right. In the world of therapy. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Erin. And also thank you to all the listeners who submitted questions. I was I was very uh surprised by the responses. I was like, thank you guys. You guys are amazing. So to everybody who submitted, thank you. Again, everything's confidential. No one else knows besides myself who, you know, who sent in what. So all right, I think we should get started because I mean these are some really good questions we're gonna get into right now. So the first question we're gonna ask Aaron um the 
Listener says, my father passed away over five years ago. We were really close with each other. Every year his birthday or the day he passed away comes up. It gets harder and harder to deal with. I want to make him proud, but sometimes I don't know if I'm doing enough in life to do so. What is a way I can feel like I'm not disappointing him or letting him down constantly if things don't always work out in my favor? Yeah, yeah, I looked over this. Uh, I didn't want to read too many of them. I just wanted to skim so that my answers really would be organic and kind of in the moment. Uh, but this question in particular stood out for to me for a couple reasons. I think that one thing, grief isn't linear um, and neither is healing. So that's always a really good reminder for yourself when you are feeling low or you're really missing your dad or you are feeling like you're maybe not measuring up. Um, I think that's a part of grief because we don't get to have the person physically there to let us know that they are proud, right? Or that they are cheering us on. So some of that with grief, we really have to lean into some spirituality or religion, if that is your forte, and, and believe that, that they're watching, that they're with us, and that they're proud. Um, proud is difficult, right? Because some of that has to be rooted in what this um, question has to do with in terms of this person who submitted it. I think it's important to look to your your dad and his legacy and as a as a maybe a guiding light but it but not a blueprint because sometimes our parents whether they're here or gone might not agree with our choices but those choices are in fact right for us and for our lives so be careful with saying i'm disappointing him or i'm not showing up in the way that he would want me to because sometimes we do have to follow our dreams or our goals, whether or not our parents are necessarily agreeing with them or championing, championing them. It, that's pretty normal, right? Whether or not your parent is here or gone. I, I myself, right? My, my mom hasn't been happy with all of my life choices, right? Mm -hmm. But some of them I had to do on my own because it's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, so some of it, I think, is important to remember there. I think in terms of kind of remembering your father and keeping his legacy alive, I think when grief happens after a certain point of time, it almost feels as though we don't talk about that person as much um, or we talk about them in past tense. I really like to remind people who are grieving or who have lost someone to keep that person's memory alive. And the way that we do that is to talk about them often, to talk about them as, as though they are still here, because mm -hmm. in fact, they are. Whether or not they're in you genetically, whether they're watching you from above, they're here in some way. And the experience you had with them growing up as your dad, that's with you. So that is present, right? It's not right. something that is behind us. And it's something that, interestingly enough, as you grow as a man, you are going to carry your father with you through all of those changes. So it's nice to remember on his birthday, I would be doing something that is remembrance of him. 
I would be doing something he loved to do. I would be getting the family together and, and hashing stories and showing pictures, right? Making it lighter, making it happier for the time you had instead of dwelling or welling in the time you don't and the time that you was taken, right? That's a, a mindset shift and that's a healing shift. Um, but I do find that when we talk about our loved ones lost in joyful moments, it always feels better than when we talk about them in sorrow. Right. Um, and I did, I had another point too, that I just wanted to, to make kind of clear here is that no one in your life, right. Knows what's best for you than you. And what's going to be best for you in your career or in your romantic relationships or in your interpersonal relationships, right? We look to our loved ones for adv advice and guidance. That doesn't mean that they know what the right path is. So I think it's a nice place to land on reminding this writer that it's okay to lean into what you want and check in if it's helpful. What would my dad think about this? If it's in alignment with you and you feel good, you're not hurting anyone, you're not doing anything illegal, you're not, you know, I think you can probably say, you know, I think he would be proud of this choice. Maybe he mm -hmm. wouldn't have made this choice, but he would be proud of me for doing that because I am doing it in alignment and I am doing it with, um, you know, vigor and passion, and I'm doing it to better myself, right? So I right. think that's, that's important. That was a really good question. It's difficult with grief in general, because yeah. it ebbs and flows, and it can hit you out of nowhere. You get, like this writer is talking about five years without his dad, right? It, it could get better in a few, it could get worse in a few more. I mean, death and grief, it's ever present. So I hope that that's helpful though. Yeah. And I was glad that this person asked this because my dad has also been gone five years and there are times where I like kind of stop and when something big happens, right? Like when the big things happen, <clears throat> there'll be a moment where I'll say, Oh, I wish really wish he was here. And then I kind of just like look around. I'm like, no, he's here. He sees like, and then I'll just be like, did you see that? Did you see, you know, like in my head, I'm like, did you see that dad? Like, did you see what I did? Just because it helps me like to feel that I know he'd feel proud. So um, I was really glad that was a submitted question. So thank you listener for submitting that one. We're going to move on to the next question. And the next question says, I'm a very shy, introverted person when it comes to talking to women. I'm also terrified of facing rejection of any sort. What's a positive way that I can look at rejection and not feel so embarrassed if and when I do get rejected? For sure. So this, I love this question. First of all, I think it's important to remember that we all experience rejection. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's normalize it right off the bat. Like this, this listener isn't 
necessarily special or in because we all have been rejected, whether it's professionally, romantically, with friends, with family, right? We've all experienced it. Um, it as long as you were a teenager at some point, I'm sure you experienced a lot of rejection. Um, and while I understand that it can be scary, I will say being alone is worse. Mm-hmm. Um, being isolated is worse. And we saw that in the pandemic, right? We saw what that did to our society and to the world. Uh, that level of isolation is just not good for us. We're humans and we're, we live on connection. We thrive on connection. So kind of getting over the fear, what I do in terms of that is I actually look at it, look at it as an opportunity to learn and grow. Right. So I go with the adage of fail fast and learn fast and grow faster. Right. So I want to fail right away. If it's a professional failure, great. Tell me, what did I do wrong? How can I do better? I'm taking what I take from it. And then I'm going to show up the next time more prepared, right? More engaged, knowing what maybe the person is looking for or the employer is looking for. Similarly, With dating, it's kind of the same thing. You're putting yourself out there and it's okay if somebody doesn't like you romantically, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're not all going to like each other. (laughs) It's just, that's how life is. Yeah. But you'll never know if you don't put yourself out there and go on that date, if you don't put yourself out there and go to grab that coffee. And, you know, it can start small. I'm not telling this listener to go on 900 dates next week, start small and do Bumble BFF. Make a couple connections with some people and see what the commonalities are there and start there. Also, as a therapist, I will say starting with a friendship before a romantic relationship is a great foundation. So I think taking the pressure off, oh, I have to meet a girl, I have to get a girlfriend, gotta be romantic start small meeting of new people and with different interests and all of that and if they reject you okay well then that wasn't the fit I also want to remind this listener that it's interesting how we as people are so afraid of being rejected but we are rejecting people ourselves all Mm -hmm. the time I'm sure this listener can think of probably 50 things that they don't like, that they don't want to hang out with, uh, celebrities they don't agree with, politics they don't agree with, right? We reject so much. And then we're so worried. Oh, I want everybody to like me. And it's like, but you don't even like everybody. Right. (laughs) So why are you so worried about everybody liking you? You only need the right people to like you and those people will come organically and it'll feel good and you'll know it but you there's literally no way to find out unless this listener jumps in there in some forte so that's why I said start small digital in the privacy of your own home chat with someone online join some fun free groups online doesn't have to be support groups there's book clubs all sorts of places where you can get your feet wet in terms of interacting with others and communicating with others and and shaking off some of that social anxiety. Plenty of resources on YouTube, tips, tricks, tools, 
of how to meet somebody, how to introduce yourself, how to hold the conversation, how to not be boring. <laughs> I mean, these are things you could, they're at our fingertips nowadays. Yeah. So I think that's what I would say to this listener is be brave, do your research, build up some confidence, just little confidence, and then try it. I promise you, it's not going to be as bad as what you may think. And we're humans, we have thick skin. And people say really rude stuff to us all the time. People are hurtful. People are mean on the highway. And we 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 make it through, right? We get over right. it. Right. Yes. Thank you for that, Erin. I um I like listening to a podcast. I haven't listened to it in a while, though. It's called um, New Mindset Who Dis by Case Kenny. And he oh. does talk about like rejection in there. Like it's okay to be rejected because it steers you in the direction that you need to be, you know, and rejection is okay like it's something that's a part of life and you know just being able to kind of manage the emotions that you have you know being rejected so yeah reject and it does it happens to everybody even you know you see people and you're like oh my god like I'm sure everybody wants them it's like no they get rejected too like you'd be surprised yeah (laughs) listen the biggest people most famous most rich most beautiful most every I mean everybody's getting rejected Okay, so going into it with that mindset hopefully takes a little pressure off. Yeah, agreed. Thank you, Erin, for that response. All right, our next question, uh, listener asks, how does one overcome imposter syndrome? Um, so it, this is actually a very loaded question. So I'm going to read the whole question and we'll kind of dissect it. Uh, mm-hmm. How does one find a therapist who is a Christian? How does one find the above who takes my insurance trying to avoid co-pays or fines over the phone? Uh, So listener has a history of two abusive marriages and lives in Northwest Indiana. Got it. So for the first part of that, let's just dive into imposter syndrome. And we don't have to get too deep because everyone, again, also struggles with this, especially if it's a new role, right? Uh, We haven't done it before. Um, or we're just newly out of school, whatever it is. Um, What works for me is building reference points of success. So let's say I'm starting a new job. I'm nervous. I don't really know what to do. I know they're going to train me, right? But am I going to be good at it? Uh, Are people going to listen to me in meetings, right? Am I going to hold any authority? I'm the new person. So you get, that's uh, rooted in self-doubt a little bit there, right? Um, And probably some negative self-talk. Uh, am, am I good enough? And I think what works for me is to look at my past and what have I done? So it's good to write a list, I think. What have you accomplished, right? What got you this far? And go back and look at that list as needed to remind yourself that, no, I am supposed to be here. I am supposed to show up in, in this role and, and I can be confident. And guess what? You don't know what you don't know. So no one can be mad at you if you do flub because you're learning. You're just learning just like everyone else. I said it in the beginning of the podcast, just because I have letters behind my name and a master's degree and do all of these things. I'm not right all the time. I get imposter syndrome. I get nervous when I meet new clients. Are they going to like me? Are they going to think I'm a good therapist? Are they going to think that my interventions are impactful? Or do they think that I'm just, you know, fluffy and pretty? Like, I have the same thoughts. 
But to overcome them, first of all, I get up and just get into it. I'm not going to avoid a new client intake, right? I'm just going to get into it, lean on my list to prove, listen, I have 40 clients right now. I'm helping these people daily. Nobody is leaving, right? Nobody is telling me that I'm not helping them. That alone, at the end of the day, I write that down. Eight clients. I felt really good. And where did I feel that I could learn more, right? If I get a client that maybe struggles with something I'm not super knowledgeable about, I don't take that as, oh, I'm stupid. I take that as time for me to order a book on Amazon so that I can help this client better. Time for me to watch that movie they told me was their favorite movie that ended up giving them an eating disorder. All right, I need to get inside their minds. I need to get inside that problem. And I need to learn how to help them. So that's, it's all about learning and not, again, not being hard on yourself because what you don't know, you don't know. So if you're worried your boss is going to be mad or your colleagues are going to be looking at you side-eyed, I would just turn to them and say, well, could somebody teach me? Then you know, and then you don't have to worry about that, right? You can go on to the next thing that you have to learn. That is the piece of imposter syndrome. And I will say this, it's insidious. And I think it's something that most of us will struggle with on and off maybe for life. Because you're just, as you level up and as new experiences come, you have to have that awkward phase where you don't have that confidence quite yet. And we've all been there, right? We've been there in our beginning undergraduate programs. We've been there in new, the first week of a new job. like right? And then if you look back now, like, oh, I worked here for three years. I could do this with my eyes closed. Mm-hmm. That's confidence. And that's away from imposter syndrome. But that first week of that job or two weeks of the you know new training, you had no idea. You didn't think you were good enough. Oh, my God, this is so overwhelming. And then you look back three years later and you're like, are you kidding me? I literally could do this in my sleep. So like, no, and knowing that too, is that the hump of imposter syndrome typically doesn't last very long, as long as you're staying in the role and continuing to learn and grow. Yeah. And I think just for like context, Erin, too, because it made me when I read the question, I really looked at the history of two abusive marriages. And it made me think the role of that in in the listener's imposter syndrome, you know, if she's talking or they're talking about imposter syndrome in terms of the relationship, right? Like, or did the abuse in the relationship cause this person to not have confidence in themselves, right? Or they, you know, have been, let's say, emotionally abused to the point where they really have no confidence or even sense of self sometimes that does happen in abusive relationships. Physical is a little different than emotional, obviously, but sometimes they, they do go hand in hand. Um, I, this, this question isn't deep enough for me to know, you know, all the details. Um, so the, the answer has to be a little more generic because I don't work with this person. I don't know the history right. and the way that it's worded in the questionnaire as well makes me think that maybe they're talking about imposter syndrome and probably professionally because that is where that shows up most of the time and then when they go into the questions of finding a new therapist and all of those I got that they're looking for a therapist to help with that Mm -hmm. which that would leading into the the next question of that 
So in terms of looking for a Christian therapist, there are Christian therapists out there. You can go on ZocDoc and look there or Psychology Today and look there. Underneath the picture will tell you what the therapist treats and if they have any affiliations, right? It'll say like couples, it'll say religious, it'll say things like that. So you can kind of find. If you can't find it that way in specific, you can go to your nearest church and maybe ask somebody there if they have a connection to a therapist who does identify as Christian or is a Christian practitioner. Um, And then that way you can get what you want. I will say it's not necessary in terms of the therapeutic approach to have a Christian therapist in order to be helped by that therapist. So what I mean by that is that as therapists, we come into session to help you. We are non-biased. We do not bring our biases in or our preferences into session. We're not judgmental about those things. If a therapist is, that's a red flag. Please look out for that. But if you want to come in and talk about God and talk about your relationship to the church or talk, all of that would be fine with any good therapist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's not our job to, you know, get into the specifics of that in terms of politics, in terms of religion, right? I work with many clients who stand on very opposite sides of the world in terms of what we agree and disagree on, but that doesn't matter because that's not what I'm there for, you know? And I'm not yeah. bringing that into session. So I think that's ho- helpful to know that, I think any good therapist can help you whether or not they're religiously affiliated. Um, But if that is a deal breaker and that's fine, I would, yeah, I would do those three things I mentioned before ZocDoc psychology today, or going to the church or archdiocese uh, for some referrals Uh, in terms of insurance, eh, tricky, but most insurance, regardless, you're going to have some sort of copay. Mm-hmm. very, unless you've met your deductible for the year. Uh, I very rarely work with people who have a $0 copay. I think I have three clients that have met their deductible. So they have zero out of the 40 that I see. Right. But on average, 20 to $40, that's pretty typical copay. If you really haven't met your deductible, probably 147 is like normal. That's a blue cross blue shield at United. Though so, you know, the big guys, that's typically what they do. Um, But if you're looking and you want to make sure that things are good to go, you can have whatever provider you find run your insurance before session. And then they it normally takes seven to 10 days. And then they could tell you, hey, your copay is going to be $25. And then at that point, you can say, okay, yeah, I want to do at least an, an intake, right? And I can do the 25. And if you're not a good fit, Unfortunately, right, you got to start from the drawing board again. But that's that's what I would suggest if uh, cost is is an issue. I I don't know where I this listeners in Indiana, so it's a little different because I'm licensed in Illinois, so I can't even practice in Indiana until I get transfer my license there. Um, so I don't know a lot of their particular parameters, um, and also it would be up to what kind of mental health coverage you have in particular on your policy. Uh, another good way you can always call insurance directly. I know that's not fun. Sometimes you're on the phone for an hour, but if you can get in touch with a human, they can break it down for you and send you a list of providers that are in network that would have a low copay, you know, from there. Uh, so it's definitely doable. It's all the things that this listener is asking is possible. 
Um, so I hope that's like a good jumping point to try to get started to find someone. Um, if cost is absolutely an issue in terms of like, you don't want any copay, you might want to look into like a nonprofit sector at that point. Um, in Illinois, we have, you know, Planned Parenthood, we have Howard Brown, and then there are just online some free resources for like support groups, It's not individual therapy, but it is free and you do get to talk and it's typically led by a clinician. So there's now with the world shifting and all this virtual opportunities, I, I think this listener shouldn't have a problem finding what they're looking for. Okay. Thank you, Erin, for that. All right. So our next question, <clears throat> what mental, physical, emotional methods do you suggest to patients who do not have normal physical hunger cues? So the context of this one, Erin, um, as an adult with untreated ADHD and CPSTD, I have a hard time knowing when my body is hungry as my brain and body are very disconnected. How would you suggest I comfortably start eating multiple meals throughout the day opposed to one single giant meal at the end of the day before bed? I feel as though my body bloats immediately if I try to make myself eat when I don't feel the hunger cues, but I only feel hunger when I'm on the brink of passing out from not eating all day. Yeah. Yeah, I read I read over this one a little as well. Uh, with my, you know, experience work, with working with eating disorders for the last three years, um, not that this is necessarily an eating disorder, but it is disordered eating. And it sounds like it's pretty impactful for this listener. The first thing I would suggest is if it's related to complex trauma, that means that you need to get on and do some somatic work. We hold trauma in our bodies. Uh, people like to think that we hold it in our minds, but we really don't. Um, they manifest physically often. There are great somatic yoga workouts and breathing workouts. Uh, you can find them actually on Pinterest. You can find them on YouTube. Um, but I would, I would suggest doing that. Meditation as well. You need to connect your mind back to your body. And that is probably the best and fastest and freest way to do that. Um, in terms of getting yourself on a better eating schedule, that's going to take some time. So I want you to be really patient with yourself. If you are used to only eating one meal a day at a certain time and you just decide tomorrow to wake up and you're going to have breakfast and you're going to have a snack and then you're going to have lunch, like first of all, you're not going to feel well because um, your body's not used to it. So you want to start slow. This is going to look more like breaking a habit. So you're going to want to start attacking it in that same way. Right now you have a really maladaptive habit that has in some way provided you coping by avoiding eating, right? Or avoiding eating until a certain time at night when you feel probably safe enough to eat. <clears throat> what I would suggest doing is gamifying it. I love to do this with clients. Uh, some people like to make their own chart and do like a gold star. Some people like to wait and say, okay, if I have X amount of meals by Friday, I get a manicure, right? So you, you're giving yourself these rewards for starting to accomplish these new habits and breaking the old ones. So I would start small. I would start with, I'm going to try two meals today and a snack. So that would look like maybe having some sort of light breakfast around nine, then maybe around noon, like a granola bar and, and a smoothie maybe, or a, a nice iced coffee, and then dinner. 
at a reasonable time. So you're putting it in your calendar. Mm-hmm. And this is again, starting slow. Like I said, I'm not throwing three full meals and you're getting all your nutrients and we're looking at what's on the plate. No, it's just starting small and kind of building from there. And then rewarding yourself after you've completed those goals. You could do that daily, or like I mentioned, you could do it at the end of the week if you want a bigger reward and kind of look at it like that because that's how we learn. Our brains are trained to, we're reward-based learners, humans are. Um, Dogs are, right? And we know animals are, we know the pavlo, right? So we know that. So if you know that, do that and set it up what feels good for you, right? So for me, I, well, today I'm 90 days alcohol free. Uh, very excited about that. And I am celebrating with some non-alcoholic champagne. And I'm going to have a bubble bath after this podcast. And I'm going to sit by my Christmas tree and watch a Christmas movie. That's my reward for a really accomplished week. And honestly, an accomplished last three months. So whatever feels good for this listener, that's going to motivate you to actually and effectively try and tackle this and make permanent change. Um, But I will say patience is going to be a really good friend uh, because there's going to be days when you just, you can't or days that you slip up and you only have that one meal. And that's when you give yourself grace, compassion. And then you remember that tomorrow is a new day and you're going to get right back on and you're going to try again. Okay. Thank you. And I also, sorry, no, I no, also wanted good. to say for this listener, it may be really beneficial depending on what kind of insurance you have and where you're located, but I would be looking at maybe hiring on a dietitian to meet with once a month, just to give you some guidance in terms of physical well-being and, and biological well-being, right? What your body may be missing now, if you're only eating one meal a day, um, you might be deficient in some things. The, the nutritionist can help you come up with meal plans and things like that. It's really, really helpful. Um, and it, it's kind of fun too to work with somebody and have that support. Yeah. And it's not there. It's not therapy, right? It, it can feel therapeutic, but yeah, it's different, but it's, it's a healthy way to get a professional's eyes, you know, and, and their support while you're figuring this out. Yes. Yes. That is very good. Thank you for that response, Aaron. And congratulations on your three months, your 90 days over. That is, that is big. That is very big, especially during holiday season and things like that. So keep on killing it. Yeah, for sure. All right. So our next listener asked, how can I manage and deal with work-related anxiety? What can I do to cope in moments of distress? Sure. So I wish I had a little more detail uh, because it's difficult for me to give, I guess, more specific advice. Like if it's work anxiety around a presentation, I might say something else, right? Or if it's just general work anxiety or if it's related to a coworker, it's a couple different ways to go about it. But in terms of just like being anxious around work or being stressed or having anxiety outside of work, um, what I do daily. Um, again, a lot of what I've kind of talked about today is kind of integrating practices into your life, right? And and putting goals in place so you can reach them. In terms of anxiety, what I do is it's called neurotransmetic, like shaking, basically. 
basically. And it sounds exactly, you know, you've heard people say in life, like, oh, shake it off, right? Oh, yeah, right. shake it off. No big deal. No, no, no. I want you to stand up and shake your entire body. Make sure your neck is engaged, but be careful. You know, you don't want to roll around your brain too much, but you really want to use every extremity. You're standing, you're shaking, you can bounce, sway, and then do your breathing with it too. Slow, good breathing. And even using like vocal tones, right? Like, oh, like getting low vocal tones while you're shaking. That actually releases dopamine and gets gets the anxiety out. Again, to my point of shake it off, right? No, really. And it literally helps. So I'll do that before a big presentation. I'll do that before a long day of clients. I, For example, I did it before my girlfriend's wedding. I was giving a speech. Mm-hmm. And I was nervous. I was nervous. I was sober. I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? And I was like, no, I'm going to do the neurotransmetic tremoring. And so I went out. Like, everyone was in the reception area. I just went outside for a second. And I just kind of shook and, like, did my breathing and, like, making those low sounds. Man, I killed that speech. I'll tell you what. (laughs) And then I did it after the speech was over. Mm -hmm. Because the same idea rings true. That adrenaline that's pumping. It's Even though it's adrenaline, it feels good when you finished. It's still, there's some anxious, like, in there. You know, you want to get it out. So I do that. I did it after too. And I, I still felt on a high, but it was, it was, I was more relaxed, right? I was kind of coming down from that adrenal rush of, oh my God, there's 300 people looking at me. (laughs) What am I talking about? And that, that's really helpful. So for this listener, try that, right? Try Mm -hmm. doing the neuro transmetic tremoring, try journaling in the morning, try a good morning routine that can look like journaling and then meditating and a a two minute cold shower and then heading into work, right? And then coming home and having a way to get the anxiety out as well. Exercise, you know, I'm always gonna say I'm a proponent for exercise. You feeling anxious, get outside, move that body, turn on a JLo dance video. let's go like you'll you know you can get through that yeah and if it's if it's work anxiety or stress that really is overwhelming in terms of like you're overloaded you don't have enough support from your team your boss is tasking you with too many things it's time to speak up your mental health is more important than that job I can guarantee it and I say this to clients all the time that if something bad happened to you your job would be on indeed in 24 hours Mm-hmm. So, so please do not kill yourself for some corporation or some big business or unless you're an entrepreneur, then yeah, you're the boss. You got to do what you got to do. But yeah, don't, don't do that. Ask for support, stand up for yourself and say, listen, coming here is impacting me. I feel like garbage when I leave, I'm having trouble sleeping. I, I either need a lesser workload, I need another person on my team to share the workload, or something's got to change. Yeah. Because I'm telling you, and when you ride that, you ride that anxiety and stress, work-related especially, 
you end up miserable pretty quickly. And you're, you know, before you know it, you've been in a miserable job for 10 years. And I'm guaranteeing you, you're going to have physical effects from that. You're going to have high blood pressure. You're going to have insomnia. You're going to, you know, have low motivation, depression, more anxiety, right? And the catalyst is work. I've told people to quit their jobs. (laughs) Like I've literally, they're like, what do you mean? How do I, what? I don't have, no, you got to quit. You've got to quit or you're going to die. It's that serious. Right. Right. I agree with that. And um, it's funny that you say that because I think now <clears throat> what I've been doing um, a lot at work is being able to be more expressive and saying like, hey, this is what I need. I need more support. I need, I need. Um, so I check in now with myself. Am I giving and not receiving? Like, do they yeah. know that they can't read your mind? They can see what you're doing, but they can't read your mind. You have to be able to tell them because what I found is a lot of people look at me and say, oh, well, she can handle it. She can handle it. And inside I'm like, I can't handle this, but they won't know unless I say something, you know? Exactly. So I really have had to show up for myself in that way and say like, Hey, this is what I need. I know you can't read and- my mind. And now I'm telling you that this is what I need. Exactly. And we can go ahead even one step further, bring that into your life, bring that to your partner, bring that to your friendships, bring that to your family, ask for what you need. It is not a want to, I don't want to feel anxious. No, I need not to feel anxious. These are necessities we're talking about. Right. I like how you really emphasize need, need, because we're not asking just for any old thing. Oh, I just wish we had a a better Keurig in the break room. No, we're talking about real stuff here. Right. And you have to, you have to just, it's terrifying at times, especially if it has to do with mental health. It's kind of nerve wracking to tell your boss or tell your supervisor or lean on a coworker. But I'm going to tell you what, nine times out of 10, that person that you're opening up to also has anxiety. 44 million Americans currently struggle with generalized anxiety disorder. That's one in three people. That's a large number, a a, a staggering number. And, you know, you see it now. I definitely can identify like almost right away. Like, oh, you're feeling anxious. Like, come on, I'll help you out because I feel it too. (laughs) Exactly. So if you have fear of being kind of embarrassed or judged, listen to me right now. Your boss also has anxiety and, and is likely to say, oh my God, I had no idea. I struggle too. Let me see how we can rework this. Right. Right. I I think people think that it's going to be like, oh, no we're going to fire you. First of all, people cannot fire you if you are coming to them with mental illness. It is protected under the Disability Act. So never feel fearful that if I want to tell somebody that this is going to negatively impact me, and I want to tell you what, if it does, call a lawyer. Yep. Thank you for that, Erin. I think we definitely needed to get into that because some people need to hear that. I think we're just overworking ourselves and it's not, it's not okay. It's not okay. I, I'm definitely on that same boat. They'll replace you in 24 hours. <laughs> so quick. It's crazy. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on to the next question. Uh, listener says, sometimes I feel like I'm losing my mind. I feel like my body is here, but I don't feel like things are happening to 
that are happening to me are real? Am I going crazy? What is happening to me? What can I do? Yeah, this is a tough question. And honestly, I can't give a thorough answer because I'm not sure if this person is talking about disassociation, psychosis, severe trauma. It's hard to know. If you are losing time in terms of you don't know what happened for an hour, right? You were at work and you're like, wait a second. You know, some of that I would, you want to reach out to a professional, psychiatrist, neurologist, right? If that, if that is what's happening. Now, if it's just, I have a really hard time staying present and therefore I don't feel like I'm, I'm there, but I'm not really in my body or I'm, I'm above my body. I'm watching, but I'm not really engaged where if you're playing with your kids and you're kind of like uh, going with the motions, but you're not really feeling it. That's actually kind of an easy fix because that really is rooted in bringing yourself back to presence right? Bring yourself back to being mindful and staying present. So you could do the five senses, which I love, which is checking, right? What can I see? What can I hear? What can I smell? What can I touch? What can I taste? It'll bring you back to center right away. If you, if you know, if you're able to notice that you are in fact, kind of in a disassociative state. Now, some people aren't able to notice. So being mindful, isn't that helpful in times. But if you can notice it and then do the five senses or do five minutes of meditation to bring yourself back into your body and become present again, those are helpful coping skills. Now, if we are talking about disassociation or we are talking about psychosis, yeah, you're going to have to look and, and go and be evaluated by a psychiatrist and potentially medication would be the helpful route, right? Medication mm -hmm. coupled with psychotherapy. Um is the best way to go about that depending. And again, I'm speculating because it's such a vague question. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, but if it is just, I really can't be present. Well, one thing that I always tell myself, if I notice that I'm in a really beautiful area, but I'm not really paying attention to the beauty around me and I should be, I try to tell myself, Hey, be where your feet are. And if I can do that, then I'm like, okay, well, my feet are here. Well, right now they're in my living room, right? And I can look around, like, look how beautiful my Christmas tree is. Wow, look at Sarah. She's so pretty on the screen, right? Like I'm here and I, I'm coming back. Because even in this, in this interview, I could float. You know, I have a mind like everyone else and it could go other places. Oh, what do I need to do tomorrow? Or da, 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 right? That's not being present. So checking myself and asking, hey, Aaron, where are your feet? Oh, here they are. And then you're gonna start looking around and being where, where you are. You know, I like that. I don't know where I heard that saying, probably Tony Robbins, but <laughs> I like it and I use it often. So hopefully that listener can take something from that. But yeah, if it is um, like losing time and stuff like that, that's, that could be more severe, not to be scary, but it could be worth uh, making an appointment for sure. Okay. Thank you, Aaron, for that response. All right. Our next question, a uh, listener asks, I'm having trouble connecting with people. I desire connection, but hate getting close to people. Help me, please. Sure. So this sounds like social anxiety, which has exasperated greatly since the pandemic, as we talked about earlier, uh, because we got really comfortable, unfortunately, in isolation. Um, and obviously, we know it's negatively impacted millions. Um, maybe this listener as well. 
as I mentioned before, I love this idea of the fact that you don't have to leave your house anymore if you want to connect with people. Um, there are so many forums and groups and free classes you can take online. I just signed up for it. I guess it's technically for women, but it's it's not. I think it's for everybody, but it's UHPW. It is powered through Tony Robbins, but it's uh, Carissa Kucic, who I adore. She's such a powerful motivational speaker. They do this event once a year. I always do it. It's in December, kind of set you up for the new year. But there's other people on there and you can see them and talk to them. And it's all, it's all over Zoom and it's virtual and it's free. Um, so looking for stuff like that to get your kind of connection juices flowing. Mm -hmm. Again, like I mentioned earlier, kind of starting slow. So I love the virtual uh, forum first, maybe, to build your confidence um, in getting into social settings. Um, there's also another really brilliant doctor scientist, uh, Vanessa Van Edwards, who actually studies people. And her YouTube page has been incredibly helpful for me. And I'm a highly confident person. I enjoy people. I love to talk and be around people and all of that. I do not struggle like this listener. But even with that said, Vanessa and her YouTube channel has helped me greatly. There are all sorts of ways to start conversations, to um, good questions to ask new people, where to stand in a room at a networking event. She gets really into it, facial cues, how to read people, how to, how to be irresistible to, in conversations, how to get hired, how to interview. I mean, literally her page has all of this free information that I just love. And the vignettes are not long, you know, nine minutes, maybe 20, if it's like a podcast interview. Um, she's brilliant. She also has two great books too, you can find on Amazon. Um, but that's a good place for someone who's struggling with connecting or, or finding fear in connecting with others. Because uh, you have to build your confidence a little bit. I think yeah. that's the first place to start. And then get your toes wet, you know? get on some of these virtual things, build some more confidence there, maybe build a little community there. And then you can go on dry land and, and try it, go to a mixer or to a concert. Um, I also love to tell people who have social anxiety or fear of being alone to go out and be alone. Go to the movies by yourself. Go sit down at a restaurant and have that steak and have that glass of wine and enjoy your night all by yourself. And get comfortable with yourself. If you don't love you, it's going to be really hard for other people to love you. Not that they can't, but that it's just, it makes it harder. You know, you, you want to love yourself first and you want to be so comfortable with yourself alone and with others. So I really like those exercises, a little bit into exposure therapy there with kind of doing some of that stuff solo. Um, I always like to tell people, you know, try the movies first. Right. Just go to go to the movies alone. Pick something that, you know, maybe your part if you have a partner or if you're totally solo or your friends don't want to go to go to the movie and have a nice time. Get the popcorn, do the whole experience and just start there and see how that is. That's being you're you're dating you. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I agree. You know what, Erin? Um, during the semester, it's kind of because I've had to, uh, but I often eat dinner, you know, alone now because I get home late and whatnot. Anyways, I actually enjoy now kind of 
eating dinner by myself because I'm like I can kind of relax I can kind of unwind and just yeah be in my own presence so I, I enjoy a good uh date night by myself <laughs> eating dinner and there's listen nothing I, wrong I do with it often it. Yeah. yeah I do it all the time I'm married I do it all the time it's important mm-hmm. I agree all right so speaking of relationships <laughs> our next question are. Uh, listener asks, I'm in a relationship that has ran its course. I love my girlfriend, but no longer want to be in a relationship. She is an emotional person and I'm scared to hurt her. How can I break things off with her? I want to start by saying that if you do in fact love her, staying around isn't, that's not good for her. (laughs) If you're out. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you're saying right now, I love her. I don't want to hurt her. Then you need to tell her the truth. And the truth is this relationship is up for you. And it's nobody's fault. Or maybe it is. You can decide how you want to have the conversation and what you want to say. Just be mindful and kind and gentle. And that's it. And talk about, I love, right? Like healthy uncoupling. So if you, if you're in a place where you can kind of talk about what was beautiful, she might not be able to do that. I don't know. Maybe she's going to be really mad, but that's okay. You know, like her reaction is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to yourself and to yourself. You're not happy in this relationship. It's not going anywhere. Why prolong it? It's only hurting you. It's definitely going to only end up hurting her. And if you do love her, you should show her the respect to tell her the truth. I'm not here. I'm not, I'm not in this anymore. And maybe it's nothing she did. It's just how life happens. We evolve and we change and that's okay. It's just about having the grace and kindness to address that person you love gently and gingerly so that it doesn't come off like, oh, it was you or, you know, let's not leave any more traumatic marks on people if we can avoid it. You know, let's try to be kind, but honest. And just let them know. And like I said, her reaction is not your responsibility. She's probably going to be sad. She might be mad. She might scream. I don't know. But you have to do what's right. And what's right, just by that question, is you got to get out. Mm-hmm. You got to You listen, hard stuff is going to come up all the time. And this is going to be hard for this listener. This sucks. Breaking up with people is not fun. But you have to do it because you're going to be happier. And guess what? I guarantee that boulder that's on this listener's shoulders will be off in two seconds once he has this conversation. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. And it's just better. You know, I think the longer you stay with someone and then they feel unseen, unheard, I think that's worse. That's a deeper cut than staying, you know, breaking up and kind of letting them know that rejection, right? Like, right. Not working anymore um than staying so all right thank you Erin for that response our next question do you think that people sometimes seek therapy for societal acceptance or bragging rights rather than actually getting better now here's some context for example they will use I'm going to therapy as a bragging right to make people think that they are getting better but in reality they seek attention Almost like using a religion as a way to hide and make people think they are a good person or a better person for believing in the religion. And that's air quotes on that. I see. I see. This is an interesting question. I've actually never thought about it like that. I guess maybe because I'm a therapist. I don't know. I think the bigger question is, is that I don't think that this 
person or persons uh, that's attention seeking and maybe they're saying they're going to therapy, I would be more curious about why they need to be validated. Not that they're attention seeking. And although it may appear that way, uh, I would be looking at, are they looking for some sort of validation or, or what's going on with them? You know, cause typically if, if that is how you're feeling about someone, that someone's kind of toting their therapeutic journey in front of your face, one, it could be because they're genuinely enjoying therapy and maybe you're misinterpreting it. Two, it could be that maybe they're really struggling in their therapeutic experience and they want to pretend that it's going really well. Um, and talking about it with friends or around others maybe g- gives them some comfort. Um, I doubt though that anybody is using, I go to therapy. Mm. No. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm having, I'm having some thoughts. I'm having some organic thoughts come up here. Okay. Yes. I could see how someone would use therapy as a weapon, but I think that if some, if it's not in a relationship context, it might not matter. If it's just like a friend or a coworker or something, and that's bothersome to you or triggering to you, which it might be because that's the question you submitted. Again, I would maybe look inside like, why does it bother you that this person is talking about this? Um, maybe you yourself are interested or in need of therapy and you haven't come to that full realization yet, which is okay. Um, and so maybe that's why it's stirring. I'm always wondering for myself and others, like if something stirs me up, what is that? Because that's my responsibility, not theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I don't care if if they are seeking attention, let's say, right? Let's say this person is that the listener is asking about is in fact attention seeking needs that validation. It doesn't bother me, right? That's their life. Uh, again, unless it directly impacts this listener, like that's a partner or someone they see daily, I would give them uh, the compassion of saying, you know, I wish you well, that's, that's maladaptive. So maybe your therapy isn't working, right? But good for you. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure um, in terms of that. Again, these questions have been so fantastic, but it's almost like, yeah, I need more. Yeah, I need more context. I need more like specifics because then I, I could really maybe navigate it. Again, this is armchair therapy because I don't know any of these clients. I'm not working with these people. Um, so it's very broad in general. Again, why I said in the beginning, like just take what fits and throw what doesn't because it's really hard for me to give like a concrete answer mm-hmm. without all you know, I need all the case files, man. I'm a, I'm a detective over here. I'm a therapeutic detective. Let me get to the bottom of it. But if I only have the 911 call, well, yeah. I don't know enough. Yeah. But I do. I think I think it's a, it's a good place when something's rubbing you up wrong. It's a good time to look inside, mm-hmm. not out. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Thank you, Erin, for that. Now, number 10 is coming from me. This is our last question. So you can uh, you can dissect all you'd like. I'm right here in front of you. <laughs> Love it. Love all it. right. Um, so the last question is coming from me, Erin, and I'm asking, um, I'm always told how self-aware I am and how much I know, but I always feel super uncertain of myself and my ability to do things. What can I do to boost my confidence and self-esteem 
and turn off my self-doubt. It's my self-doubt, not going to lie. It's been a little loud lately. It's been a little too loud and I don't like it. Yeah. Well, you know, like I mentioned before, I want you same way to do reference points of everything that you have accomplished. I mean, first of all, you're a mom, you're amazing. You do this podcast. You're also in school. You have a family, like get out of here. I just listed off six things and I don't even know you that well. So if I can list off all those achievements just here in 30 seconds, girl, you better pick up those, those <laughs> pants and get on it. Cause you know that you got it. Yeah. You know, the self-doubt is always going to creep in. You know, I I talked about it even for myself, right? When I get a new client, I get nervous. They're going to think I'm stupid. They're going to think I'm young, right? Or whatever. But again, I just have to remind myself, like, nah, I've done some really awesome stuff professionally and personally. And sometimes I have to remind myself of all of those things. Sometimes I have to go in my office and look at both of my degrees and my license and say, oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm mm. meant to be here. I'm good enough to be here. You know? So sometimes it's that, but Terry, for you, all those things that people say about you is right. You are very self-aware. You might as well just be a therapist, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you might as well just get, get in the school and take the exam um, <laughs> because you are, you're highly intelligent. You're very self-aware and you have so much organic compassion. Yeah. You got it. I don't know if school is what's giving you self-doubt. You know, I know anything that's graded typically gives me serious anxiety, um, especially like in a classroom setting with other people who are being graded. I find myself the self-doubt creeping in a lot in those, in those scenarios in particular, uh, because it feels kind of like competitive, I guess, right? Like who's better, who's smarter, who got the A, who got the B, you know, those kind of things. But I think you're just reminding yourself, like, no, I'm, I'm a bad B. I got this right. Like sometimes you just really do. You need to look in the mirror. It's a lot too, because it's funny. I talk to certain clients and they, they need me to like, pump them up you know sometimes right and I'm just like yeah you got to look in the mirror and like you are that bitch like you know sometimes yeah. it's not all the work it's not all the therapy it's not all the meditation it's not all the things sometimes it really is just remembering who the fuck you are mm-hmm. and what you've accomplished big and or small and I love this saying you're enough simply because you're here to sit just because you're breathing you don't need to do anything else mm-hmm. you don't need to cure cancer you don't need to win a nobel peace prize you don't need to get the mega lotto you're enough just as you are yeah yeah and there was something you put um you made a reel for instagram and you put like you gave 40 percent and you know that was your 40 percent then you gave a hundred percent i was like i needed to hear that Aaron. thank you (laughs) yeah because it's so true like listen if you really if you really (laughs) want to hear this message right like if you only have 40 percent and you show up and you give that 40 percent and that's all you had you better believe that that was a hundred because that's all you had and you gave it up all of it yeah it doesn't have to be this like, you know, 100% every day, hustle culture, grind this, grind that. Like, no, slow down. 
Yeah. Slow down. I agree. I agree. And even that, like just having that reminder, um, you know, cause it does, like I said, when the self-doubt creeps in, it, it feels like it takes over everything. But then when I look, like even as you're telling me and I look and I'm pulling three classes, pulling straight A's, working full time with a kid and a husband and a house and, you know, friends and all this. So it's like, girl, go sit out somewhere. Like, stop. Right. And, <laughs> and that voice too, that little voice, I, I talk to her and I tell her, girl, you better get out of here. Better you know, get out of my head with all that. We actually talked about in class naming that little voice that you hear, mm -hmm. giving it a name. So that way you can kind of sit like, say like, hey, like, hey, blue, like I'm not right. listening to you because it makes it more, you know, it makes it more real yeah. to say like to quiet that noise. So I definitely yeah. need to uh, put that in practice. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's like kind of separating the identity, right? Separating mm -hmm. the self-doubt from who you are by naming it. Um, we do this a lot in eating disorders. Uh, a lot of my clients call it Ed, right? ED, eating disorder, but it's Ed. Oh, we hate Ed. He's a mean guy and he doesn't want me to eat or he wants me to overeat. Or, and that really does help separate themselves from the eating disorder so that they're not identifying, right? Oh, I'm the eating disorder. No, you're not. You have a disease. Let's name it, right? Let's get it away from you as a person. Same thing with self-doubt, you know? Same thing with imposter syndrome. Same thing with fear in any capacity. Separate it, name it. It's not you. It's an experience. It's a thought. It's a pattern, a habit that you're having. It's not you as a person. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. Thank you for that, Erin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for all of your responses. I think, you know, listeners, we got to send Erin a big thank you because that was all the responses were really good. All the questions were really good. So before we wrap up, Erin, please tell us what you are up to besides the 90 days sober free, which yes, I'm very excited so about for you. I'm on the 90 day alcohol free. I'm going to keep going. I don't have like an end goal. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe this is permanent. I'm just taking it day by day. Uh, but right now I en really enjoy being alcohol free and not having a hangover. I'm highly productive. My anxiety is so low. It, it peaks, but it's not like it was before my sleep, my skin. Oh, Jesus. I could go on and on. Right? I know you're Alcohol glowing. Stores. I'm looking at, you know, like oh, this whole <laughs> time you've just been glowing. I'm loving it. <laughs> oh, see, that's what happens. You know, you just take care of yourself. Wow. Crazy things happen. Any um, other things then, that you've been doing? Yeah. So I'm doing now solely private practice. So the last time we met, I was still with Eating Recovery Center doing intakes and assessments uh, for severe and persistent eating disorders. I'm no longer doing that. I'm just doing individual and couples outpatient virtual therapy. Uh, I work under the umbrella of Allen Wellness Center, which is the private practice I work for. I'm LPC, not LCPC, so I can't have my own private practice, although I don't think I have any desire to run a private practice with my supervisor, my boss, Bianna. She's fantastic. I love her. Um, but she, it's a lot a lot of work. And so I'm real happy where I'm at right now. Mm. Um, I make my own schedule. I live my life. I have so much freedom. I, I just, I really adore it. And then my book comes out January 1. You Ooh. can buy it on Amazon, 
paperback. I have not decided if I'll do a digital format yet. I don't think I will maybe until if I decide that maybe March or May, something add that in a little bit later. But yeah, so that'll be my self help book. It is called Unfuckable with 11 principles to get the life that you want and deserve because you know that I'm writing. So I'm telling you, you deserve it all because uh, I think we all do. Um, and I'm really excited about that. And you can follow me on Instagram, your best friend's therapist. Uh, Sarah will tag me, obviously, um, for updates on the book release. But it will release New Year's Day. That is Yay. cool. Uh, it's a self-help book. There's exercises in it. In every chapter, there's real exercises. So you can feel free to write in the book or you can write in your journal if you want to gift the book after or keep it and do it again. Um, it's something that you can read yearly. It is supposed to be um, a personal growth journey that you're going to carry with you. Um, in the book itself, it starts, you know, one-year goal, five-year goal, 10-year goal. So really my book should be with you for at least 10 years. That is the, the idea. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited. I think it's going to be powerful. I'm hoping that it's going to help a lot of people. You know that my mission and passion in life is to help others. That has always been who I am. Um, and I, I want to change the world and I want to make mental health easier on people. And I want people to have real accessible coping skills that they can use that doesn't cost them money, that doesn't cost them running their insurance that doesn't take up a ton of time but that's super effective because I just want people to be happy I just want people to enjoy life because it's so freaking short right so yes. I'm super stoked about this book um and then I have some stuff on the horizon we'll have to have another little ask your therapist yes. and I will update you guys as it comes but I do, I love these questions. And honestly, to any of your listeners, DM me yourselves and ask questions. I'm happy to answer. This is a great forum to get a bunch of questions in one go. But yeah, if you follow me on Instagram and shoot me a question, I'm always happy to answer. Again, it's armchair therapy. Typically, if I don't know you that well, it's going to be more general stuff, but I love it. And, and I'm here to help. Yeah. Well, we love having you on, Erin. It's always a good time. It's always good to see you. We definitely need to do another uh, self-care workshop with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And maybe we should do some book giveaways. Like I would love to partner with you to do Ooh, some book giveaways for the next year. I will be so into that. Yeah. Okay. You and I will talk off, off the books about getting that <laughs> in order and maybe, yeah, doing some, some prize giveaways or, yeah. or something like that. That'd be pretty cool. I'm into it. Yeah. All right, guys, that does it for another episode of Mind If We Chat. Make sure to head over to Instagram and Facebook at Mind If We Chat. Share the podcast. Make sure you guys are tuning into uh, the new podcast on South by Southeast platform. Uh, poor Elo I can't, I cannot talk now. Poor El Dolor uh, with uh, Voyager and Jedi. So make sure you guys tune in and uh, listen to those episodes and always listen to South by Southeast. All right, guys, that does it. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye. I am not a mental health professional. I'm an individual who is passionate about mental health and topics related to mental health. Research has been done on these topics and I'm sharing my own personal experience. All conversation and information exchange are intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any information shared should not be used as medical advice or to self-diagnose. 
If you believe you are experiencing an emergency, please talk to your primary physician or call 911.